the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right. <laughs> you cannot hear anymore. Let me get you ready. I'm gonna, I'm gonna so bust your eardrums, buddy. Again. Welcome aboard, everyone. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, this is the Bible Live, and tonight we've got a great, great program. We've got some, some very, very interesting I think, I think chapters from the book. Are you hearing okay now? I think so. A little better. Very good. I uh, heard until you adjusted. Uh, hit him again. I can still hear him. That's what the the old joke. There's some joke about that, you know. Uh, hit me again. Wait, I can I, still did hear I tell him. You that, yeah, I ran to a guy. That told me about where you got religion and faith. Really? Yeah, sure. He said that you were out in West Texas. Uh-huh. I was. Uh-huh. You were riding a horse. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and you fell over the cliff, but you grabbed onto the edge of the cliff, and you started saying, God save me, God save me. <laughs> and, uh, I know. Give me more is... faith. Give me more faith. And the voice came out of heaven and said, okay, let go. Let go of the branch. <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, is there anybody else up there? Right. The next line is, uh, you know the nice thing about telling you a joke? I never had get to finish the punchline. <laughs> I've heard them all. I tell you, sixty-one years. I guess that uh, uh, yeah. after a while, you hear every preacher's joke from all around the world. You know. Well, that's very good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What, what was it? He says uh, you got to have faith, and he says, "Well, is there anybody up there?" And he goes, and God says, "Yes, my son, I'm here." And he says, uh, "Well, help me. You got to save me, save me." And he says, "Oh, that's going to be easy. All you got to do is have faith." And he said, "Great, I have faith. I have faith." And he says, "All right, that's wonderful. Let go of the branch." 
<laughs> the guy looks down and looks back up and says, well, is there anybody else up there? Yeah, I know that. That was a good one. <laughs> no, no, it was good the first time. I Where's your it? laugh track? I've I got to have oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, that's my, we'll do that, okay? Okay. There you go. That's what I like to hear. Uh, well, folks, we are uh, in the Bible Live. What we read this past week, we read the last few chapters from the book of Judges on Monday evening. And then on Tuesday, we read, we spent the entire reading on Tuesday night was from one book. We don't get to do that very often. They're not usually uh, that number of books that are that are short enough, just the right size for us to be able to read the entire book in one reading. But it does happen occasionally, and that happened on Tuesday of this past week. We read the entire book of Ruth. I love the story of Ruth, Jacob. You know why? Uh, no, is it a joke? No, oh. <laughs> no. It's because it's <laughs> because it's such a relief after Judges. The oh. Book of Judges is so to me. It's so oh, it's so it's so tragic. It's so terrible. The, the potential, the wasted opportunity, the what could have been, and all those these twelve judges and their wasted. Not every one of them. I mean, some of them Deborah, wonderful, and and some of them there's some very positive things. But in general, you see the nation just spiraling downward and just continuing to suffer the you know the consequences of abandoning their God. And and it gets so depressing to me every year when I read through the judges. And then we come to this sweet little story of this little Moabitess, this little Moabite woman, uh, who the daughter of of uh, Naomi and. Uh, this Jewish woman that goes to live in the, in Moab because of the uh, famine in the land, and I don't know, just their friendship and and their uh, their relationship is so beautiful to see. And I love Ruth one sixteen. Entreat me not to leave you, nor to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go, and whether thou people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Now let's no. pause for just a that. moment. Mm-hmm. Did you see the line you just quoted? I, um, I didn't see it. Line, I memorized it. The last line you just quoted. <laughs> uh huh. By the way, you read very well. Oh, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> you said your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now, why doesn't it list it in reverse? I don't know. Well, perhaps we could discuss it for moments. I, I think so. It's because. <laughs> That's actually the line they use when people sound because you know you do get a few people who want to convert and become Jewish. That is actually a line in the conversion yes. in the Jewish four spiritual law booklet. You know, it says. Uh, I don't know about all that stuff, but I <laughs> okay. only know what I know. Uh-huh. Um, but I know. But they say. But why would people become before God in the line mm-hmm. you quoted? Because. No matter if you like somebody's God or not, if you don't like the people, you're not going to like their God. That's interesting. And that's the reason why. And that's the line, your people will be my people. So that's why they have – Is it formulaic? In other words, is that something that when people are converting that that is part of a of – a, I use the word ritual advisedly, but is that far, part of the process of, of converting? Is that something that it the rabbi has asked them? It takes time because you're supposed to associate. You've got to come be involved, be uh-huh, joining in, uh-huh. and see if you like the people. Because if you don't like the people, you will not like their God. Isn't that an interesting thing? 
Because one of the first things I think is one of the characteristics of a genuine follower after uh-huh. God, uh-huh. There, there are several characteristics you see in the scriptures that are genuine. One is humility. There's no room for arrogance and pride. There's a brokenness. There's a humility before God. And and that is one thing, humility. Uh, another characteristic is gratitude. That, that seems to always surface, even... Uh, what I, I, I've just seen, I felt it in my own life as an eight-year-old child when I gave my life to Christ. My, I had probably one of the first unselfish thoughts of my entire life. You know, I was a little street urchin. I was an orphan. I'd, I evaluated everything and everybody, every every experience in my life, everybody that I met walking down the sidewalk. I evaluated them on the basis of hmm, how this is going to affect me. That's. I mean, that's a little street urchin's mantra. You know, what can I get out of this? How can I use this guy, this situation, whatever? And I remember when I made that decision on that day, I, uh, it's funny, I was just telling some of the airmen at Lackland this, how 61 years ago when I was eight years old, uh, I told them about bowing and, and uh, kneeling in the office of the chaplain and asking Jesus to come into my heart. And I got up off my knees. I was so happy, and I was just so excited and that to know God. And I said, you know, I got to tell Curtis about this. You know, Curtis was my best friend, my eight-year-old, but we kind of grew up together. And that Were was one, probably one of together? the first unselfish thoughts of my life. You know, wow. I got to go tell my friend about this. This is wonderful, you know. So uh, th- so there's, gra- there's, there's, there's humility and there's gratitude. And then probably what you just mentioned, what was it? The, the character we, I think there is... <clears throat> When, when someone claims to be a follower of Christ and is, and is overly and harshly critical of the people of God, of all those Christian, those hypocrites in the church and this, you know, now I realize we are we are a messed up group of people. We're we're not perfect. We're just forgiven, and and so we're and it, and it does disappoint, and we do let down a lot of people as Christians. We make a lot of mistakes in our lives and the way we treat people, the way we treat each other, even. And so I can understand it, but it seems to me like there's something about even. Jesus talking to us about loving one another, and by this the world will know you, that you love each other, that you love one another. And I think there is something that for some reason, it's not just because, oh, we're at the same religion. I think it's just because we we share a common experience of, of brokenness and being redeemed, and, and that causes us to be, uh, hopefully, more understanding and patient and loving toward one another, knowing that we all just are, you know, we're just under construction still, you know. But Well, I've heard people say that they visit churches, and if they're not embraced, not treated warmly, nice, they leave, and they don't like that I've church. heard that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, uh, that seems to be pretty consistent with that line. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> what is it? Wasn't it Mark Twain that said something like, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, because it won't be perfect anymore? Is it, uh, it had to be something. some. Actually, one of my favorite lines of Mark Twain. I remember uh, it, but I can't. Yeah, well, it's okay. I remember it for you. Okay. But halfway through, you will remember it, and you can finish it for me. Probably I'll finish it for you. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? He said, uh, uh, most preachers, this is him. I mean, oh, I know. Most preachers 
will uh, sort of will find a starving dog, cut off his tail and feed it to him, and think they did something. <laughs> a starving dog cut off his tail and feed it to him and think that they did something good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I he was a little stress, critical I as well. Stress that was Mark Twain. That was Mark Twain. I'll send all your emails and letters to Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Twain. Okay, we looked at the book of Judges. I don't know if we want to spend any more time tonight talking about the that terrible. 325 period where where Israel just spiraled downwards and 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 there were glimpses at time of Actually, revival. Actually, may I renewal. say, if you calculate the years, uh-huh. you'll find there was a lot longer extended period of times where things were going well. Yeah, these events in here are episodic, but they are habitual. Yes, and so that when they do have those things, yeah. and my question to you, uh huh, because you said every year when you read it, it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Well, have you ever? Sat down and said, "Well, exactly, what are they doing wrong?" Now that I haven't done, and I know that that's something that you uh, are very in touch with uh, from a Jewish perspective. That all six hundred and thirteen laws of Moses are broken in the Book of Judges, and one of the real challenges, one way to read the book, and one perspective of it is that. We are being prepared ourselves to be judges, to have to have to know what's right and wrong, and to recognize it from God's laws, and that we, sh- you know, we should. It's kind of like an exam that you go through it, and you to see if you can find where are the six hundred and thirteen laws, the six hundred and thirteen times that that Moses, that God's laws are are broken. And I know that you've mentioned that. Well, do you know why empathy is a is a very hazardous thing? It's a good thing to have sympathy, empathy. Uh huh. It's good, but do you know why it's dangerous? Because you do you know why? No. Because now we know it's a good thing to have charity, empathy, sympathy. But the reason it can be dangerous is this: is the people you have the most empathy for are the ones that's close to you. For example, I will have more sympathy, more empathy for my children than I would you, Sophie. And I would expect you to have more for your children than me. And if yeah, it comes down to it... you could expect it, me to actually understand that. Uh-huh. Right? Right. And, you, and if it came down to it, you would kill me and provide whatever I had to your children because you have empathy. If that's your golden rule, then you are picking something that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something that's larger than just some feeling. Exactly right. And, and, and while we're on this, I don't know where we're going with this, but this thought occurs to me. I, I think it's – I don't know how profound it is, but it's a thought that came to me probably some 20, 25 years ago that when we were to all this talk about – share it with us right now, right? All this – huh? You're going to share it with us tonight? I think I will. Oh, okay. I think I'll break it out and tell somebody about it. I haven't, I haven't actually – Voice this to too many to many people, but the whole idea the scriptures are full of this this uh, mandate, this commandment of God, this expectation that we are going to love everybody, that we're going to love people everywhere, and and I don't have any problem with that. I think we are to love people everywhere. The, the, we're to love uh, those who don't love us, even our enemies, uh, unbelievers, well, and so on. We're to love each other, but. There is an appropriate expression of love to different people in our life experience. I mean, it's there's. 
I wouldn't love you in the same way that I would love my children. There's, I, I would, there is an appropriate expression for my friend, my buddy, my pal, my coworker, for um, uh, my secretary. There, for, and I think a lot of the problems that uh, that we get in these relational, a lot of our relational messes, is that people are not being discriminate in the way that the proper expression of love for someone we meet a casual acquaintance on the street yes we can express a love toward them and, and so but it needs to be appropriate to that relationship and and there are you know we, we our family love our wife our husband our children these are primary these are uh, these are priorities in terms of our life uh, and giving our, our life away uh, you know what is it something begins at home uh, <laughs> charity begins at home or whatever but anyway that i don't know that doesn't sound very profound but i think it seems like a lot of time i've spent in counseling with people for marriages and for different problems and addictions and and temptations that they uh, so is that somewhere they get that, uh, that they misunderstand that idea. There are appropriate expressions of love for different relationships, and I, yeah, I don't know. I just throw it out there. <laughs> See there, how simple that was. But it, I'm not sure how profound it was. But it's uh, to me, it was pretty profound when I began to understand. I'm glad that. you waited 25 years to share that. <laughs> I should have should have waited one more year or more and kind of got it more straight no, in my no, mind. No, by all means. You okay, should. we got the book of Judges. We finished it up with that terrible experience of people of this uh, this uh, Levite's concubine being cut up and her body parts been So why would they cut up? Now this woman is dead. You know? I know. Yeah. So he didn't kill her. But uh, these guys, these base men, these worthless men, it says, in fact, uh, where is that nine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes over there and says, "Hey, um, nineteen. Where is that?" Well, it remind. I tell you, who it reminds me of, and it reminds really? me of the experience yeah. of Job. Uh, not Job, no. but uh, um, yeah. Go, go. What's somebody. his name? Um, you got it. You got it. He, uh, uh, Lot. Lot. Lot was Lot. in. Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah, right again. and they came to his door and said, send out these men, and, and so uh, it reminded me a little bit of that situation here. It is a little bit. Okay. No, that's exactly right. So he says, oh, okay, they're pounding at the door. They want my concubine and my daughter, mm-hmm. and it says oh, these worthless men are these base men, and they were very bad guys. Mm-hmm. And they took the concubine, the woman, they raped her all night, and she died. They left her body on the doorstep. Right? But, the, but the hard part to understand mm-hmm. is that this, this guy offered that. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted him to send out somebody else. Well, right? The well, men? Well, let's, let's read the verse. Uh-huh. Okay. <clears throat> if all else fails, we can look it up, right? Oh, yeah, look it up and read it. So it says, uh, 22, while they were celebrating, these guys, these worthless base men, they, from the city, uh, they, they came and surrounded the man's house, pounding on the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house. The old man said, what do you want? They said, bring out the people who came to your house so we may have relations with them. And who were those people? The, the men. Okay. Uh, the ma- male visitor. Uh-huh. 23, uh, 1923. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said, please 
do not do so wickedly, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come to my house. Do not commit this act of folly. 24. So here is my virgin daughter and the concubine. Please let me bring them out, that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of, this version uses folly. Uh-huh. I'm looking at the NASB. Okay. Uh, folly uh, against this man. Okay, can, let me ask you a question. Yes. Your explanation in, in the occasion of Lot uh, was that Lot was actually doing a good thing when he because he was at least trying to encourage the men to be less evil than they were trying to be. Now, is that right? Okay, so he was trying to move them at least in a positive direction of right. Although it was terribly wicked, it wasn't as wicked as what they wanted to do, evidently. Well, that, homosexual rape would be the what, the lowest level. Uh-huh. And then once the run, small step above that is female rape. Yeah, yeah. So the point that was a point about Lot. Now, is that dynamic working here as yeah. well they're in Benj- they're well, in the tribe of benjamin somewhere yeah, right they are bad guys and 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 they're there and these guys are asking and he to to me as a you know just a 20th century gentile believer a little when i read that i thought how in the world could anyone sink so low as to offer their own daughter and this in this in this situation and the that that doesn't seem like an improvement to me. And, and, and yet, is that same, same dynamic at work here in the book of Judges? Yes. He's trying to – that's a step up from what they were wanting to do? Yes. Wow. Well. Boy, I don't get that at all, but I know, okay. I know you don't, and that's okay because we're not done with you yet. But, but but let me tell you something else just before – put the tail in on it before – this also comes into the question you asked me before – about these 613 rules. Have I ever read the book of Judges to see if I could find what all of these laws that were broken? I don't think, now I don't know if, it, I'm not even saying this is a good thing, but I don't think that we as Christian believers are as much in tune with the idea of the laws of God and keeping them, obeying the laws and counting them up and knowing exactly what they are as you guys are. I mean, I don't. I think that the whole point of us being redeemed and forgiven by the Messiah, His death on the cross, we're forgiven, we're cleansed. So our focus is not so much on mm-hmm. you know keep all these rules and all. It's on enjoying our freedom and our forgiveness and, all, and knowing that God is God is working in us to to well, write His God's laws on our heart. You, would you, you know? rape this man's daughters and uh, the concubine? Would you? What say again? If would God's I working in you, would you and your friends rape this guy's daughter oh, of course and his not. wife? No. No, right? Well, I would think no. I would uh, hope not. Obviously. I, it seems like obviously no. So why would he even offer? I don't think if God was working me, I wouldn't even offer my daughter and oh. some other person to – that. That doesn't seem like a right, good thing to do. Okay, tell me why it's not right. And I agree with you, it's not right. But you should be able to tell me why it's not right. Look, I want to tell you something. Okay. Christianity is a wonderful religion. Yeah, I have no sure. criticism. I know you do. But Judaism concentrates not so much on faith and belief as and much heaven at, as 
I will, may I finish this? This is not a. This <laughs> it is, should be a compliment to you that I know every thought a, in your this head. This is not a joke, so let me finish. Okay, you go for it. Uh, it's they, it concentrates on acts, what you're doing, your deeds, your acts. Not the it really is telling you how to act like a decent human being. How to live as God's people. Yeah. How to live in this world. Yes, that's what it's concentrating on. And so the faith, the belief, it's that's a given. But so here's this guy. He says to them, "Don't do this." Well, we should be able to say, if I say to you, "All right, Soapy, my instincts are that's wrong." Don't tell me why that's wrong, because there are religions that might say that's okay. So tell me why it's wrong. I agree it's wrong, but tell me why. Based on the laws of God? Yes, based on the laws of God, yeah. So, Well, clearly, I mean, it's, no matter if you don't even contrast it to what they wanted to do. All right. Clearly, you can't Hello? commit. I mean, you can't forcibly force people and and then of course in the end after all of that kill them i mean that's that's against god's laws i mean he certainly mm-hmm. right uh, it is not a deep dark secret that that was a terrible thing to do right don't we all understand that that's a uh, don't we we agree right that, that we agree it's a horrible wrongful thing to do but I want to know why you know that. Well, God doesn't. God, that's not consistent with the character of God that he that you would forcibly take a person and and rape them. Yeah, or, or gang rape them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, it's so evident and clear that it almost like makes the question, you know, not make sense because. It's self-evident that this is wrong. You it's can't do that. It's self-evident based on what? Well, frankly, I'm not even sure I'd need to be a believer to think it was that was wrong. But I guess right. but there are pagan, terrible pagan groups yes. and primitive groups yes. that do these kind of things. Yes. yes, because they believe it's okay. They have faith. They have confidence in their God and their religion. It's an okay thing to do. Okay. So but the God operate. of the Bible is not okay with that. Of course That's not. clear. Of course. Okay, so that would be my explanation. So if I say to you, well, I know it's wrong, and you say to me, well, tell me why it's wrong. I could say, well, God said it's wrong. That's good enough. Or this is a human being created, created in the image of God, and we must pay the, the, we uh, must pay respect to this human being who is created in the image uh, of God. Maybe that would be a, a good answer. I, I think know. all of them are good answers as long as we base it on not something I f- just feel. Because uh-huh. people can feel wrongful yeah. things, and I can feel it's yeah. the right thing to cut off your hand if you steal a loaf of bread to feed your kids. I can feel it's okay. That's becoming more and more kill. evident today, isn't it? That's what we've been talking about, about our culture. And, and all of a sudden, it, how at one time it would have been unthinkable, absolutely unthinkable that a civilized human being, a, a female, would kill the baby in her womb. That that would... that. It's un- at one time in our life that would have been unthinkable. Well, but now hear, all of a sudden, I, I, listen, let's just you have to let's, explain to people why say, that's wicked. Let's say that's an important thing you're saying. Uh-huh. Well, let's say that we go one step beyond that and talk about if the baby's already born. You, oh now, my land! Now, analogize that to the story you want us to understand from this story. 
We'll come back and uh, talk about that a little bit more. We weren't going to spend that much time on the book of Judges tonight, but it is good to summarize that book and where, what it teaches us, what it taught us. And then we're going to talk about this beautiful little story of Ruth, and then we're going to get into the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke. I hope you'll give us a call, 210-340-9585. We already got one listener on the line. We'll come back and take Dr. his call. Dr. Shelton with Office and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. Wherever we are and whatever the challenge, Emmanuel is right there with us. Thanks for joining us for another daily encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional. Today's reading titled, Right There With Us, was written by John Blaise. She was completely focused on the top shelf where the glass jars of spaghetti sauce sat. I'd been standing beside her in the grocery aisle for a minute or two, eyeing that same shelf, trying to decide. Now, I'm a fairly tall man. I spoke up and offered to help. Startled, she said, goodness, I didn't even see you standing there. Yes, please help me. The disciples had quite the situation on their hands. Hungry crowds, a remote place, and time slipping away. Matthew 14:15 records them as saying, "It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food." When challenged by Jesus to take care of the people themselves, they responded, "We have here only 5 loaves of bread and 2 fish." All they seemed to be aware of was their lack. Yet standing right beside them was Jesus, not just the multiplier of bread, but the bread of life himself. We can get so wrapped up in our challenges and trying to figure them out for ourselves with our often limited perspective that we miss the abiding presence of the risen Christ. From remote hillsides to grocery store aisles and everywhere else in between, he's Emmanuel, God right there with us, an ever-present help in trouble. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Find out when your favorite shows air on AM630 The Word by clicking on the air button at am630theword.com. You'll get a complete listing of our shows plus access to podcasts as well at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. On her 25th birthday, Megan Trainer vowed to love her new husband forever as she walked down the aisle to her latest track, Marry Me. In the tune, Trainer says that others have urged her to be cautious before taking a matrimonial leap. But she declares that she's ready to give her heart away to the man she trusts to keep it safely. Yeah, they say keep your heart safe. is a sweet tune that tops off years of tracks in which the singer has pined for Mr. Right. Years that show that waiting has finally led her to a relationship worth waiting for. For a full review of this tune, visit PluggedIn.com radio. 
I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right. Great song choice. Church on fire. (laughs) Don't panic, folks. I don't mean your church is on fire. I mean God's people on fire, passionate and and intent on serving God and uh, that's what we need these days. We need the, the the church to wake up and to to I don't know get over the shock of our where our world's going and and be about the business of of uh, of announcing the truth and giving the reasons why things as you're saying why is this wrong? Uh, we just think everybody understands, but we don't understand that a lot of people their worldview they've opted into a worldview that allows some of this atrocities that arouses allows some of this scandalous behavior they've opted into a god or if they believe in a god at all it's a god that allows those things it's somehow in in the economy of their god now i so guarantee you, know you it's book? not the god of the bible there's a book that's true it's not the god of the bible but do you know there's a book called who really cares I think that's the name of it. <laughs> Probably a pretty good title and, for the book. Well, this guy who was really a very much an atheist, he uh-huh. got curious. He's a reporter. He did the research, and I, th- I may have the title wrong. I think it's called Who Really Cares? <laughs> and he went down to see who was giving the greatest charity and helping most places and building hospitals set in the world. Mm-hmm. And the truth is this. What we would consider the far left gives almost nothing. The ones that really build the hospitals and give the charity – are the Christians. So, that's who cares. Now, that's a nice thing. And we know it's a nice thing. Is it but we all would do it to our own children, hopefully. But the truth is, is that when this, you know, I I would like to differentiate one fine point. I'm not debating at all about the issue on doing abortions, Uh but I am talking about after the baby's born, the shocking thing that became okay to kill a baby after it's born. Now, that is a very close simile to the story we're talking about It surely is, isn't it? Yeah. And so, how do you know it's wrong? Is it your feelings well, only? No, it's because uh, objectively I believe that the the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the true and living God, it, it, and that he has explicitly, clearly told us that is inconsistent with his character and for, with his purpose for man on earth. Uh, 
I, I'd have to go back to that. But yes, I know. And I have to say that anybody who would you agree with me on this uh-huh. that the reason that story is in chapter nineteen of Judges, okay, is because they know how offensive it is and they want you to be offended. They want you to be offended, and so, yeah, his so very the very purpose he cut that body up and sent it around the country. Something I really want everybody in the audience to understand: the the Jews wrote the stuff about themselves. Uh huh. If they wanted to make a great history about themselves, it'd be like the Egyptians or whoever, some other people. They'd write great things. They mm-hmm. wouldn't write all their pimples and blemishes. And they'd cover those up, right? The so, blemishes. But this one, you've got the Jews writing about themselves and saying, look what we did. Look what this group did. Look at this group. They're willing to tell that. Why? Because they want you to understand that we all do bad things, but when we do, there's a way to correct it, but we have a standard to know it's a bad thing. So they're telling on themselves. And so, and many times, you, I think, in a very strong sense, you get the same thing in a Christian church. A person stands up and says, I was a gangster. I shot people. I gambled. I did all these bad things. But I found the Lord, and I have repented, and I'm a different guy now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I am saying that there's a reason. So if the baby is born, to me, look, I think we should be able to agree on two points. One. This story wouldn't be here if you were not intended to be offended. That's right. Number two, I think we can agree that there's really no reason, not in today's world, for there to even be the necessity of abortion. No. Because people can take pills. They can keep from getting pregnant. Now – they can live chaste, pure lives. <laughs> they well, could not sleep around. Assume, assuming that that's a uh, very admirable estate, but let's say it's not going to happen. Assume they're not going to get married, and assuming that they're not going to pay attention to it. And so the babies suffer the penalty, of course. But that's for during the abortion. But even afterwards, then we have a situation where the baby's born. Well, sometimes I understand from talking with doctors the reason that they go ahead and liquidate the baby, as they say, is because the baby has been so severely damaged during the birth process that they are going to have a very, very vegetable-like life. And uh, so they make the decision that life is not worth living. One of the greatest debates going on in all the hospitals throughout America, and as I have been told, in the medical field, is now we all want to determine the quality of life. Not life, but the quality of life. So other people get to make the standard. Well, I've decided the quality of your life just isn't very much worthwhile. In fact, uh, I had a conversation with doctors a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about, well, you know, you just got to accept this, and this, you know, people get older. And, and I found it fascinating that he had become so professional, so calloused, that he could just say, well, you know, that's just the quality of that person's life is just not there because they're Mm -hmm. very, very old. And to me, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's the only life that person's got. How were you to say it's not, there's no quality? But so here you got the story that's supposed to be offended, offensive to you. So these guys rape her. By the way, it was definitely involved homosexuality in this. And so they, they ravished her, they raped her to death. They left her on the porch. And then the guy, he takes her body, and he cuts it in 12 pieces. And he sends, like it's uh, 1929, it says, when he, entered, uh, when he entered the house, he took a knife 
and laid hold of the concubine and cut her into twelve pieces limb by limb and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. In other words, one piece. For each tribe. Yes. Now, why would he do that? I assume he's doing it to shock them into action as well. I've, 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 I, that, does that yes. seem con- reasonable? Because there is a certain amount of collective guilt that we all participate in allowing this type of conduct to fester and grow. Well, that was one of the laws of Moses, wasn't it? That if you if if a tribe if some crime happens in a different a certain city or town and they don't repent or they whatever then all of the tribes of Israel are supposed to rise up and attack that city well, or, or maybe this next, isn't that right yes absolutely you very good so you were talking about one of the laws see uh-huh. you're you're identifying okay now let's talk, listen to this verse <coughs> now listen to this verse it's verse thirty. <coughs> All those that saw it, the, the pieces of the body, which is, of course, a, really a, mm-hmm. a decimation of the body. Yeah. Um, they said nothing, now listen closely, nothing like this has ever happened or been seen in Israel since the day we came up out of the land of Egypt. Consider it and take counsel and speak up. Do you realize what that verse is saying? He's trying to get people to yes. speak up, to take a stand. To where did it, that kind of thing, was it allowed before this? Mm-hmm. Egypt. And Egypt in Hebrew is the word Mitzrayim, uh-huh. which is boundaries. Boundaries. The of boundaries sin. of sin. Yeah. Yes. So they're saying, we've never seen this since we left. How is this you brought this with you, that you would do this kind of thing? And that's why they say, consider it. And speak up. So it's not just saying in your own mind, you know, this is wrong. It's saying we've got to do something about it. I've been asking myself, and, and I guess we do need to move on to the book of Ruth. Yeah, and let's book. get on to Ruth. But I've been asking myself recently. I, I, in fact, as I was talking to our ministry director uh, this week, our, our national director was in town, and we've been having discussions about uh, the growth and expansion of our ministry to the military personnel of across the United States. Uh, we're on all of the basic training facilities across the United States on 26 bases. Uh, and God is being so gracious, and we're having uh, impacting thousands upon thousands of lives, coming to uh, young men and women coming to faith in Christ. It's just an amazing thing that God is letting us do. And so we were talking a little bit about what's the bigger picture what how can what we're doing how can it contribute to uh even the whole idea of of uh, changing our culture and changing our impacting our culture and our society and our world and we were, we were talking about this changing of values and so on and i i have been asking myself the question is there a realistic scenario under which America could be set free and turned around in terms of our our sinfulness and our, our rebellion against God and uh, and in particular uh, and I I say this clearly because the Bible is very clear you mentioned it last week the reason God announced judgment on the Canaanite people yes there was a great deal of wickedness and evil 
But the, the straw that broke the camel's back, the thing that ultimately caused them to be judged and, and uh, cast out by the Lord and judged by the people of Israel, used, using them as an instrument of judgment, was that they killed their children in, in the fire. They burned them in the fire and killed their children um, the value of life was had gone and sunk so low, and so that was the, and the same thing happened later on to the people of Israel. They too were they too were judged ultimately. Yeah, there was a lot of wickedness, there was a lot of idolatry and so on. But even Jeremiah points out, but you even did this: you killed your, you burned your children in fire to the to the god false gods, and so I guess there is something that is there a scenario. A realistic scenario under which America might repent that truly could something so terrible and vile happen that we're looking at here in in the book of Judges that would finally be the bottom of the barrel and it finally that people would be revulsed by our sin and our wickedness and where we've gone to. And, and and I don't know. It seems like we keep going lower and lower, but there's... That's the story of judges. It kept getting worse and worse until a lot of rape and mutilating a body. And even but, that didn't, didn't, didn't do the trick. Well, let's well, go to our caller. We've got uh, someone waiting to be heard from. Uh, I think it's Harold here calling in. Hi, Harold, are you there still? Oh, still am. Thank still you. For your, thank you for your patience and hanging in there. What do you want to add to our our discussion? We're talking principally about that. Applause is for you, Harold. We're talking principally oh, right now about the book of the Judges, but we're going to be looking at Ruth and, and a little bit of the Gospel of Luke as well. But uh, we're looking at the, the book of the Judges. Anything you want to add to that discussion? What's on your mind? Well, okay, um, you had mentioned just before the break, you know, if people would, you know, believe in the truth or follow the truth or obey the truth. And I have a, uh, well, I know a rabbi one time that had a little story, and he said there's different versions of the truth. Now, as Christians, you know, that ain't going to fly where there's different versions of the truth. But I... I kind of have a little Bible study every morning at work with this, uh, you know, just a few people, and I uh-huh. tend to read right to left, you know, open the Bible, and and uh, there's a little example of it here, and and I was going to ask y'all, y'all, y'all's, you all's opinion why this is a Second Samuel one nine uh, uh, six. We were discussing about Saul and Saul dying, uh-huh. and. And it says that Saul leaning on his spear. And this gentleman said, no, no, he thrust himself with a sword. I said, no, it's right here. Second Samuel 1, 6. Oh. Saul leaning on his spear. And, and yeah, there was a lot of chariots followed him. And, and then 7 says, now, now when he looked behind him, he saw and answered, he heard someone. And who are you? And so... I answered, I'm a Amalekite, kite or whatever. Uh-huh, so like he that. asked him, please, Amalekite, yeah, please stand over me, kill me, for the anguish has come upon me, and my life still remains in me. So I stood over him, and I killed him. Now, that's what it says. Uh-huh. And a little bit later, down the verses, David had that young man tell him the story, and then David had one of his men kill that man for killing Saul because he was anointed. Now, the other 
side of that story is you just go back a little, or actually back to First Samuel 31, 4. And it says, Then Saul said to his armbearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Least, you know, these uncircumcised men come and thrust and uh, abuse me. Uh-huh. So, so then it says, but his bearer, I mean, arm bearer, would not, for he was afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. So the, there you got two stories, the guy died, and it doesn't say that King David did a bunch of killing to the guy. Because here it says Saul did himself. Yes. So I said, you know, I'm going to call the Bible Live show and get straightened out. It's a, it's a different version. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if it's I'll tell you my understanding very simply, and then Jacob, who probably has a more thorough understanding, my understanding is that Saul did indeed kill himself. He he called on his armor bearer to thrust him through, and and his armor bearer wouldn't do it for fear of God, for fear. I mean, that was not he was not supposed to do that, and he wouldn't do it, and so Saul fell on his sword and killed himself. This Amalekite fellow came through. Uh, he's he's going through the battle after the battle is over, and he finds the body of Saul. But w- then when he comes before David, he thinks that David is going to be happy that Saul is dead. And so he makes up this story that he killed him because he thinks that David is going to award him, that David is going to thank him for killing Saul. He certainly misunderstood David's sentiments and, and his uh, understanding because David felt that was a wicked, evil thing to do to kill, you know, to kill God's anointed king. And, and of course, he has him uh, he has him executed. That's my understanding. That, that is a good. Malachite that lied. is good. Yeah. Malachite was telling a story, a lie that he thought was going to get him rewarded, but it ended up getting him well, he executed. Got his reward. Yeah, he but, got his reward. But, right. but is that consistent yeah. with? Oh yes, the story. Well, I was trying to ask or say to Sophie that sound, that is really good. But my so my next question would be, how did you know he thought that to do that? How did the, how does the reader know? You being the reader, you yeah. you caught it. How come I didn't catch it? Or how many people aren't catching it? My well, friend didn't catch it. Harold Sophie, I think, pointed it out correctly. Uh, one thing we know for sure the story's told us about him falling on his sword. His armor bearer refused. And it says when he fell on the sword, he died. Then over in what you're calling Second Samuel, uh, it says mm-hmm. he did it on a spear. Right? And David says, who are you? And he says, I'm an Amalekite. And so you know, if you read it together, and in sequence, you know that that's not how he died. So you, it's, in, it's written that way on purpose. So that you, as the reader, can say, well, that's not what happened. That's a lie. And then you realize... Man, oh, that okay. is... Go ahead. I'm sorry, what? No, no, that's, that is... But I just can't put it together that way. And, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm hearing it now. And something else that Sophie said, you know, as, as Christians, you know, we grew up with the Ten Commandments, you know, the basically Ten Commandments. And when it was preached from the pulpit, it was just preached as the Ten Commandments. It wasn't preached as... I mean, at least the ones I went to. The six hundred laws, <laughs> right? I get it. Yeah. Well, well, even the ten, even the ten, most of the time were not referenced to one says this, two says that, three says that. It just says 
they grouped the 10. Mm-hmm. And it's no one's fault. I mean, I didn't go home and read well, back in the 80s. Let me ask you a question, Harold, uh, to get to mm-hmm. illustrate your point. Uh, wasn't it not a time when Jesus was asked by somebody, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so be no, the actually, he said? said something else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and strength, and your neighbor. And the second is likened to it. Uh-huh. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, now. One another, I think he also added, right? One another. Yeah. Not It's better to. Not in that particular I mean, you love context. your neighbors. Yeah. Is oh, okay. that in the Ten Commandments? No. Ah, why do you think I Eat picked it. that? Now, let's well, talk. No, I'm going to go to your sword and your spear problem. But okay. Jesus, they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He picks something that's not in the so-called Ten Commandments. But, and he said, that's a good greatest commandment. So he himself understood there were commandments other than the mm-hmm, Ten. Mm-hmm. You follow me? No, yeah. Yeah. But he was just, it wasn't like Jesus has made that up out of a pure, that was a quote, Jeremiah talked about God writing his laws on our hearts, right? Yes, he does, and there's no doubt that Jesus did not create himself. He's quoting. Mm -hmm. But the point is, if if you ever slow down and say, wait a minute, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, but that's not one of the ten. And yet Jesus picked for all Christendom, Remember this, that I said the greatest commandment is this. So he's picking something that's not in the ten. Mm-hmm. So of all the things he could have picked, he picked that for all Christians to learn that from him. And so you read it and you say, wait, that's not in the ten. It is in the, it is in the Torah, but it's not one of the ten. So there's something else going on, and he's actually saying to himself, he didn't pick one of the ten himself, he picked something different. Mm-hmm. And so he wants you to know that he picked that for all Christians. If you ask Christians, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Mm-hmm. They quote that. And then I like to ask, is that one of the ten? The answer is no. So we have learned that Jesus understands that this commandment's other than the ten. Mm-hmm. Now, so... If you had them laying side by side, uh, Harold, and you read the mm-hmm. ten, and then you look what Jesus said is in his thoughts, his opinion, his teaching, that's the greatest commandment. You read the ten, you say, wait a minute, that's not in there, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, apparently I would, yeah. Yes, apparently you would. So if you're reading just, uh, what, 20 verses apart, I guess it is, 20 verses apart, I believe, uh, it says how David, how Saul really died on his own sword, and then somebody comes along and Amalekite, who we know is the arch enemy forever and ever and ever of the Jews. Mm-hmm. In fact, Hitler was an Amalekite, but that's another story. Did you know that? <laughs> but I anyway, listened to you long enough to know that. <laughs> so, so, anyway, so yeah. but then we got to lie, and so he's lying. So. His religious belief, his authoritarian belief is, is that he grew up in his culture where killing a king, doing something like about even telling a lie about it is acceptable. It is not acceptable in the Jewish world. So David said, well, you got your reward. You killed the king, but you and I know he didn't because it's just those 20 verses earlier he didn't. So... 
This guy, because of his culture, is claiming he killed. Now, let's think it through for a second. What would happen if David, think this through, Harold, we know for sure that's not how it happened, because it totally didn't. Then this guy does, he tells us lie. What would have happened had David actually rewarded him? What would have been the lesson to everybody in Israel? You can do whatever you want, apparently. Kill the king. <laughs> Kill the get king, rewarded. get a reward yeah. from the next king. <laughs> yeah. And in the culture yeah. that the Malachi grew up in, that, that kind of belief, stealing a loaf of bread to feed your family, cut off the hand. Maybe that's okay in that culture. Maybe the raping. We just read the verse in Judges where nothing's like this has happened since we left Egypt. So it must have been going on, and it was okay to do it to slaves in Egypt. And they brought that sinful idea with them, whoever they are. Well, they had the idea in Egypt okay. to kill all these babies. That's right. right. I go. mean, there is. So you've got that kind of thing. And so you're supposed to be able to sit down and reason and look at it and say, well, wow, think about that. The, he That's not how he died. But he's telling a lot oh. to get the false, uh, what do they call that, when a guy lies about being in the military? And mm-hmm. his own, Padding well, his resume a little bit, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, there's a term for it. Stolen yeah. glory. Uh-huh, stolen glory. Well, right. could I have just one more comment then? Please. And then I'll leave. So, so uh, second, I mean, second Samuel one sixteen, the last... Uh, verse in there it, this is you know he lied and he made up all this stuff and because of that uh, chapter uh, verse 16 says so David said to him said your blood is Harold 116 2nd uh, Samuel 116 it says and it's the last part of this portion here it mm-hmm. says so David said to him your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying I have killed the Lord's anointed. So he got killed just because he lied. You are right. Right? Is that right? That was called an unintended consequences. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to let it go for now. He certainly didn't intend it. He didn't expect it to work out that way, did he? I, for sure. No, because he didn't know the rules of the, I guess, the Jewish people or David. Right. Uh, that's right. Okay, I'll let Thank you guys you go, okay? Good to hear from you, Harold. Well, that uh, spends a little time all the way jumping into First and Second Samuel, but that uh, we're all over the map tonight. But we're going to come back. Well, we have let's one talk more about segment. Something in the Book of Ruth, because there's something about they're undoing the sandal of the guy that should have been Ruth's husband instead of Boaz. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that from the Book of Ruth, and then we'll take a peek into our opening chapters of the book uh, Ruth, and we'll peek at the opening chapters of the Book of Luke as well in our final segment. Don't go away. You can give us a call, 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. That's right. 
It's about the Lord himself, not about us. Life on planet Earth is not, we're not the main characters. Uh, God is the center of the the biblical message and the biblical universe, but if and we put when we put him in his rightful place in our world, each of us individually uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all the other things are going to fall into place. There's going to be a I balance. Stress. I would agree with that statement. Seek first God and His righteousness. What is that? That's, Justice. That's God's laws. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, as the story goes, when uh, that's why Jesus said to John the Baptist when he was going to baptize, he says, "No, first we're going to do all righteousness." Well, Jesus would have broken God's laws had he baptized John. Mm-hmm. The Levites do the baptizing. There you go. All right, so listen, there's something right. really interesting in the book of Ruth well, that ties into Jesus. Yeah, tell me this about, now, we see this happen in chapter, uh, chapter four. W- well, we see it in chapter one, I guess, as well, but then later on in the book, uh, Boaz turns out to be a what is called a kinsman redeemer, ah. chapter two, verse 20. And it turns out that Noemi realizes that this elderly man, I don't know how elderly, but he was. It's told there in the text that he's older than than Ruth. Ruth is a young woman, I guess, in comparison. But she says that the, that he is uh, in line. He is a relative of Ruth's family. That he is in line to be a kinsman redeemer. Now that brings us to consideration of what we call is that called the Leveret marriage or Le- I don't know how you pronounce Leverite that. Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage. Uh, yes, because when the baby is born, it's not his baby. It's the baby of her dead husband because mm-hmm. she died childless. So that their lineage can continue, exactly he steps so. in. And uh-huh. So tell us about this idea that she goes down to uh, down to the threshing floor. This man is a farmer. He has wheat and barley. and, yeah, and may be a bit more than just a farmer. He's well, got, yeah, he's a wealthy man. He's a wealthy guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. But, he, you know. He owns Nebraska, shall we say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, just Nebraska. Not, well, anyway, and so Naomi says to Ruth, "Go down there and and at night." And it, it sounds kind of weird to us what she asked her to do: go and uncover his feet uh-huh. and lie. You know, doll yourself up, look nice, be clean, have perfume. But you go down and you. Uh, you uncover his feet and you lie down at his feet. Uh-huh. And evidently that was a signal uh-huh. of some way, a, a reference to this idea of Boaz being the kinsman redeemer. And it's, that is a signal from Naomi and Ruth that we are asking you to cover us, to to come and, and to be, uh, to take Ruth as his wife, as and under his wing, and uh, and so to, to, in that way to preserve her legacy and her heritage uh, in that's the Jewish that, nation. That's, that's why she was at his feet because it was preserving her legacy. <laughs> You're so good at that. See what he did there, folks. I mean, he's just a genius. But anyway, you now uncover that for us. What? what? <laughs> I didn't mean that. Uh, explain that to oh, us. Why? Look at verse three, chapter three, verse twelve. Do you have your Bible? No, you don't. Soapy doesn't have his Bible. Oh, I know. Soapy doesn't it's have in his the front Bible. seat of my car. I'm, I've been doing uh, all this by memory. That's all right. Well, it's a good memory. All right. Either that or mine's faulty. Also. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, 
3.12. Okay. Now it is true, Boaz says, now it is true. I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Ah. So she goes down there. She's looking good, you know. And, and he realizes, look, I'm an older man. And I realize I, I, I could be a kinsman redeemer. And you're going to love this. Are you ready? So, but then he's so honest. He says, but you know, there's somebody before me. Uh-huh. As I am not your closest. 312. Right. And so he has to do the correct thing. So he has to say that uh, somebody else has to He has here. to tell that somebody else, right? It's better than that. In chapter 4, they get they go to the gates, which means the whole panel of the community and the judges. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't just go do it because that was not the way it was meant to be. And uh, so he goes in there, and in chapter 4 of Ruth, um, we identify the closest relative. Mm-hmm. You're going to love where this is going to be. And he invites this guy to come have a sit-down with him, right? Well, sort of. At the gate. So they go at the closest relative. He calls the closest relative. And he says, uh, "And he says, do you want to redeem her? Now, redeem her doesn't mean just take her and marry her, get her pregnant, whatever. Mm-hmm. It means you got to pay her debts. you got to take care of her and her family and pay off all the dead's husband's debts. you got to redeem her. And you got to cut them into your uh, inheritance. That's they correct. got to become That's part right. of Well, let me read the sentence. You're uh-huh. right. The close one said, I cannot redeem her for myself because I would accept... I'm sorry, let's see where I'm at. I would not uh, jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. So the guy says, no, I refuse. You go ahead, Boaz, and take it. By the way, there were two columns at at Solomon's temple. Each part of the temple has a name. Did you know that? I think I kind of knew it. And the two columns, one of the columns is named Boaz. And the other is called? Well, and I'm going to leave that for you to figure out, or call her to call in and tell us. Okay, it's not yeah. that hard to find. But one of the columns is called Boaz because mm-hmm. it supports the temple. Ah. Okay, mm-hmm. now so it says I cannot. Uh, I so I have I give up my right of redemption. You can redeem her. In the verse seven. Now listen closely. You're gonna when I tie this into something in the New Testament. I mm-hmm. think it makes sense. It'll be beautiful. Verse 7, 4, 7. <clears throat> now, this was the custom in former times in Israel, and it still continued, concerning the redemption in exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to the other man, and which was the manner of the uh, uh, attestation in Israel. And so the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Now. He gave his sandal to Boaz. Right. So why not two sandals? Why one sandal? You know I'm not going to know the answer to that. I'm an Apache Indian. We we don't deal with sandals. We have moccasins. moccasins, Yeah. Okay. So what happens is it's this. A person doesn't walk and a a mother without a a kinsman redeemer is like walking with only one shoe. So you gotta have two shoes or you gotta be totally barefoot, one or the other. So that it was a symbol that uh I am letting you walk 
uh, Ruth mm-hmm. with only one shoe. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing my job. I He's commanded to do it, but he refuses because mm-hmm. he's got to pay for the land and mm-hmm. the debts. I got, and as you said, he's got to also include everything in his inheritance to Ruth and her children. So he doesn't want to do that. He says, no, I'm, I'm out of this. You go ahead and redeem it. So it's actually kind of an insult. And so many times... In the oh, way, is it? I mean, but is it? it's kind of an insult to which one? To Ruth. That he won't redeem yeah, her. Yeah, so Ruth takes... Oh, yeah, I, see, I could see that, yeah. So you're not doing your job. And, yeah. Uh, you're and turning her verse down. Verse 11 says, All the people are in the court, and the elders said... In the court, see, the difference about like Jew, Judaism and Jews, how it differs, because people do get mixed up between it and let's say the Islamic culture. Mm-hmm. The Islamic culture, you can make decisions in your own home. The guy will decide whatever, you know, do something, maybe kill his daughter, honor killing, whatever. That's forbidden. You can't do anything unless you bring the community into it. You have the judges. You got to present your evidence. It's got to be a communal decision. <laughs> Can I jump in? Is that part of the reason why when when Abraham purchased that property from uh, the people uh, that he – the guy was going to just kind of give it to him or something, and he said, no, uh, I need to pay for this. And so it, it just occurred to me as you're saying that. Is that part of the reason like uh, culturally that Abraham would – Go to the formality of, no, I need to buy this from you. I need to actually purchase this land. Well, it was also because that way uh, uh, the Hittite could not come back and say, your relatives are buried on my property. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So what happens is he takes off his shoe. Mm -hmm. This is, and many times the woman, believe it or not, would be would walk up to the guy that did not fulfill his obligation as the kinsman redeemer and spit in the guy's face. Really? Yeah, so it's an insult to her because he's refusing his God-given assignment, you say. To, to, yeah. Yeah. Now, so we unlaced the sandal, and we took the sandal off. And if I take the sandal off, and I gave it to Boaz. Boaz is the next in line, Right. You yes. yes. We're on the radio. You got to speak. You see, I, I'm, I'm you're shaking. Just, He's shaking I'm his head. Fascinated. I'm just You got to speak. This is radio. Hanging on your every word. Uh, so, uh, so he gives a sandal. So he's saying, I'm not fulfilling my duty. Naomi, Ruth has to walk with only one shoe on. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. That's not a way to how you, you live. You're or making them walk. So it's an mm-hmm. insult. Mm-hmm. He didn't, but he gave his sandal to Boaz, the second one. Boaz accepts the obligation. Now, that means he will become the kinsman redeemer. Now, is there any story that you can think of in the you know, Christian scriptures in the New Testament and the Gospels, where that kind of thing takes place that's very confusing for Christians. Didn't we read a little bit about it in the Gospel of Luke? You might have. Was this where that woman comes in? No, and- no, 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 I don't want, I don't want to stop you before you get off track. Okay, all right. I'm just thinking of Isn't that woman it, that came in John and watched Jesus' feet. John say you know? something? I'm not, I'm not worthy of even... I knew if I started... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not even worthy of untying his, his the laces shoe. of his, of his so sandals. So I'm not worthy to take his place. 
Uh-huh. Because if I take his shoe off, he's he's well, he's not going to do what he's supposed to do. I will be the next one in line. What a wonderful connection that is! Oh, I didn't make it and up. I'm it's not been even written down for about thirty five hundred years. Isn't that interesting? Because I have wondered about that particular imagery that John the Baptist. They come to John the Baptist, or Jesus comes, or he announces. Take a breath and get it right. Yeah, uh, John the Baptist announces Jesus and said uh, he will come after this. Uh, someone I'm not even worthy to uh, untie, to untie his unlace his sandals. sandals. That's what it says. And so what you're oh, looking my at, goodness. Isn't that interesting? so what he's saying is, look, he's going to fulfill us. He's going to be the kinsman redeemer, not me. So if he took off his sandal, then Jesus would be letting you walk with only one sandal, which means he's not fulfilling his duty. So therefore, I'm not worthy to take his place. He's got to wear his own sandals and be your kinsman he's redeemer. He's the kinsman redeemer. Oh, what you a beautiful picture. I do, my do you friend. Like it? Thank do, you so you like very it? much. That is really, you know, I, I had never connected that statement about I'm not worthy to undo the, you know, these uh, unlatches sandals. I've heard or a lot of people say, I don't know what that's about, but it's about something. Yeah. And I said, well, gee, it's right here in the wow. book of Ruth. Ruth the, the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. How beautiful that is. That really is. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a beautiful truth. Well, I just wondered if that was part of the uh, the Hebrew. Is that where the Hebrew expression comes from? Don't walk. Don't uh, don't do something until you walked a mile in his sandals or something. With y'all, don't you have? <laughs> I thought maybe that's where it came from. No, I think that's a cigarette commercial. All right, yeah. Um, well. But uh, I will tell you this: Look in the last chapter of Ruth, chapter okay. four. If you had your Bible, mm-hmm. oh, quit rubbing it in now. I, I know the last. So what is, look at look at now they had the baby. And look at verse 16. The baby's been born. Uh-huh. And they brought the baby to Ruth. That's 4.16. Right. Then Naomi took the child and laid it, and laid him, the child, in her lap and, and became his nurse. Why? Because the child is what's well, physically the child of Boaz. It is legally the child of her dead son. Uh-huh. Aha! Mm-hmm. So see, it's starting to fit together. Uh-huh. And then... The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, the son, a son has been born to you, Naomi. So they named him Oved in Hebrew or Obed, Obed in Obed, English. Uh-huh. Obed's English. Oved uh-huh. is. Obed. But it's Obed, same thing. So, and he is, he, and then it goes on to explain who his child would be. Jesse, the stump, the son of David. Aha. Uh-huh. Now. And then eighteen, the I father see. of David. Uh, yeah, go, the, you said the son of David. It's the fa- Jesse's oh, the father. I? Yeah, okay. the father well, of I David. Meant, yeah, the, uh, it's Obed, Jesse, David. Right. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> All right. Now, what's interesting is this: is that the child is the child of her dead son. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we understand the same. Who is a Moabite? Ah. Now, that's why that's in the genealogy in the Christian scriptures, in the mm-hmm, book of Matthew. Mm-hmm. So what we got here is we have that to one. We'll count that as one. And number two would be Obed. Uh, number three would be Jesse. Number four would be David. David. Now, it started off, there were two daughter-in-laws. Actually, it, they are daughter-in-laws. They're married to the two sons. Of Naomi and uh, the sons of Naomi and her husband. 
They had two sons, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They married two wives. And the two wives... The two sons were Jewish. They married two Moabite exactly girls. Exactly so. Okay. Now, those th- when the opportunity was coming, and Naomi said... Let's see if I can find the verse. Uh, Naomi says in chapter 1 of uh, Ruth, uh, it says... Now, it's actually the daughter-in-laws. Verse 8, Naomi said to their two daughters-in-law, mm-hmm. Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord de- kind, deal kindly with you. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest in, in your house of your husband. And one of the daughters, Orpha, does return. Right. And but so, Ruth does not. So That's right. And then in verse 11, we notice something interesting. They are also considered Naomi's daughters, not just daughters-in-law. Verse 11, it says, Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And the answer is no. So, Ophrah, how do you pronounce it? Orpha. Orpha. That's good enough. And uh, the uh, she goes back. Close enough for an Apache Christian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so she does go back to the Moabites. Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, here is the, the history according to the Jews. I'll flip over to chapter 4. Four generations, counting the first generation of Naomi's dead son. Mm-hmm. Four generations later is David. King David. Yeah. The daughter, second, second king of Israel. Ah, second king of Israel. Um, but Orpha, how do you say it? That's what I would – I don't know how no, I picked okay. that up. It's Opa, Orpha. Opa or Orpha? Like, like Orphan, ah. but Orpha okay. without any Orpha. Okay, we'll say Orpha. Uh, so she went back to the Moabites. She also, four generations later, she has what we would actually have to characterize as a Nephilim. Ooh. That Who, guy. Oh, oh, you're talking about Orpha? Yeah. Yes, I am. She's back over there. She has – Goliath. Her fourth generation down becomes Goliath. I knew that, and I had forgotten that detail. I wonder how many of our listeners knew that, that Orpha, the well, you daughter. Knew it, and you were listening. The daughter that goes back to, the Moab, to, the, to Moab, that stays in Moab, remarries, and somehow four generations, four generations later, later in her life, she is the great-great-great-grandmother of mm-hmm. Goliath. Goliath. And then these two distant relatives, shall we say? Meet again. Meet David and Goliath meet on the battlefield. Isn't that fascinating? That is incredibly fascinating. And how do we know that to be true, that Goliath— Because I just said it. You didn't hear me? <laughs> Well, I'm I'm I am very I'm used to the idea of asking you that question, and, and you coming up with a clear biblical answer. Me going, well, goodness gracious! When you go down to the genealogies, you can identify who became a descendant and who became a descendant and who became a descendant, or you know, son of son of son of. And so, as in the Jewish history books, they record that the son of, in this case, was Goliath and David. Wow. And they met. And, of course, we all know how that ended up. And so, and if you look at the description of Goliath. And even later on, yes. oh. David's great descendant, Jesus, uh-huh. is crucified on Golgotha, the hill of Goliath. Right. Name for Goliath. That's right. Uh, Golgotha in Hebrew Golgotha. means uh, 
uh, Goliath. The place of the skull. Well, it's the place of the skull, yes. But Golgotha means Goliath from Gath. Golgotha. Mm-hmm. So isn't that fascinating? And so when you say the place of the skull, the place of whose the skull, skull are they talking whose about? Skull? It's, it's Goliath, Goliath. And whose how, skull was buried at that place. Uh, and how did it get by buried? By David. <laughs> by David. David cut off his head. And it actually says in uh, uh, Samuel that David carried his head back and buried it in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. my goodness. The story, I know, I know. The story fits together. I, it, 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 the... Whoever wrote this book sure knew what they were doing. These were not second stringers, as I like to say. (laughs) Well, there we go. We're coming down to our last minutes. Let's talk about the book of Luke. Uh, We know that both – actually, Luke, Luke? this this Greek physician, he's not a Jewish man. He writes the most of the content of the New Testament – uh, he writes more of the content of the New Testament than any other writer. Most people think it might be Paul, the Apostle Paul. But no, it's Luke because he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of the Acts of the Apostles that we read about. He's a, a, historian, a first-class historian, without any doubt. So Luke writes his book, uh, and he dedicates his books to someone called Theophilus, uh, either there was a real person by that name or, of course, the name, you might recognize it if you understand a little bit of Greek. It's Theophilus. also the same book he addresses Acts to. Exactly. And, and and there was a ruler in that area named that is name. Is that right? Yes. But also the word means lover or friend of God. Friend of God. And yeah. so in some ways, symbolically, it might be writing the book to all who are who love God or friends of God. You'll, you'll want to read these books or something. Like that. I, I like that. Uh, Luke is the only known Gentile writer in the New Testament. Um, he's a physician. And his emphasis in the Gospel of Luke, he, remember we've talked about each of the Gospels have their special perspective. Uh, uh, Matthew talks about Jesus as the king of the Jews, his legacy and heritage as, as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the long-promised Redeemer and Savior of the Jews. Mark is Jesus as a, as a servant Man, as he serves and goes from place to place, town from town, uh, person to person, healing and, and speaking truth, and 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 so and and serving people, the servant role of the Messiah. Luke speaks about the the humanity, the human nature of the Messiah. He he, of course, embraces the divinity that Jesus is the eternal Son of God incarnate. That's seen in the opening chapters, even in the promise of Gabriel, that God is going to, that this son is going to be uh, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of God, the, the Son of God. But that he will indeed be, from the time he's a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he dies, he's going to be fully and entirely a man, a Jewish infant, a Jewish toddler, a Jewish boy, young man. He's going to be a fully and entirely a human being, living life. Uh, on planet Earth as a Jewish male, obeying all of God's commands perfectly, loving God, and and, and um, walking out a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience okay, to the so Father. Real quickly, and then yeah, go ahead. Taking our chapter, sin upon Himself. Chapter so, one, verse eight. It okay. Says, now it happened that while He, we're talking about Jesus, I understand, or not Jesus, but the priest, mm-hmm. was performing His priestly service before God. In the appointed order of the division. Now, why would that be important? 
The Zechariah we're talking about, the father of John the Baptist. Yes, Yes, because David set up this rotation. Except that's exactly where I hope you're going. Except for one thing. Tell me, Uh, there are five instances. Oh no, we'll have to talk about it next week. Next week we can do. Yes, and boy, is it interesting. So, at any rate, I would like to say just one thing as we're parting company tonight with the audience. I think I know what you might say. Well, well let's see if you say Something it. about always being the kind of person that you would want. For a parent. For a parent. Bingo. Yes. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder to all of us in these troubled times in which we live. God bless you, folks. We'll see you next Sunday night. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.